Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I'm SportsLogos.net Minor League Baseball correspondent Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. We're talking today about one of my absolute favorite brands in minor league baseball, the Kannapolis Cannonballers, single-A affiliate of the Chicago White Sox in Kannapolis, North Carolina. I, I'm so excited for this episode. I'm going to be speaking with Alicia Amling, who is the director of Temerity Baseball, which owns the Cannonballers. I'm going to be speaking with my good friend, Dan Simon, who created this brand, one of my favorite of, of Dan's brands. And I'm going to be speaking with David the Bullet Smith, who is the actual human cannonballer himself. So this is, I'm really excited for this episode. First up is, uh, is Alicia Amling with Temerity Baseball. Alicia, thank you so much for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And, and thanks for loving our brand as much as we do. Your brand is so much fun. It's honestly, when I heard that the Kannapolis baseball team was going to be rebranding, I knew that the, the local community had such a close connection with the Intimidators brand because of that city's connection with Dale Earnhardt, which obviously we will talk about over the course of this podcast. So when I heard that the team was rebranding, I thought, uh oh, this is, you know, this is going to get more pushback even than, you know, than many other brands get. And so it had to be perfect, right? Like it had to be right. just an absolute great brand. And you guys and Dan Simon, to use a baseball expression, hit this one out of the park. This well, is uh, it was very intimidating when we <laughs> when we realized we had we had to make a change, but um but we, we had the luxury of minor league baseball's long timelines, which really helped us get to know the community and really be able to, to get the community involved, which made a big, big difference, I think, in helping us hit it out of the park. Well, and so let's, let's start there. You said, you know, that you realized you had to make a change. Temerity Baseball came in and purchased the Cannonballers a couple of years ago, and changes needed to be made. And this is, you know, after the un unfortunate, untimely passing of Dale Earnhardt who was one of the previous team owners. So you, you couldn't use that Intimidators brand for, for lots of reasons, but you came in and you needed to rebrand. So can you sort of set the stage for how the conversation started that led to the Cannonballers? Um, gosh, it, it's amazing how time flies uh, in a pandemic and, and when you're having fun. <laughs> um, but so we, we bought the team. We were excited to buy the team because it had such a rich history. Um, and, uh, but we also were excited to buy the team because we knew where it was going. We were already, you know, we were, bought the team days before we broke ground on a new ballpark. There was just a lot of momentum about how Kannapolis was changing. And we were cognizant that perhaps, you know, baseball needed to be pulled a little bit into the, the new era as well. Um, so we, we bought the team having real conversations about, about, what the identity was going to be, uh, learned quite a bit about how we were kind of uh, handcuffed by the previous brand. And then, then it was really an, a moment of totally being overwhelmed because when, when, you, when the sky's the limit, it's overwhelming. You're like, well, we, don't, we, can't, we can't be that brand anymore, but then what the heck are we going to be? Right. Um, so we, we interviewed a, a number of designers um, you know, and we were totally new to minor league baseball. It wasn't that uh, it wasn't just overwhelming because we had we could you know name us name ourselves the unicorn puff puffs. It was overwhelming because we had no one in our organization had ever owned a minor league team, had never ever worked for a minor league team. It was sort of like, hmm, well, where do we go from here? Um, so we did. We you know talked to talked to other owners and and friends in the business. Um, 
and about who to work with. And then we talked to, um, you know, all of the kind of the best designers, people you talk to all the time um, and, and interviewed them and, and got, we decided we settled on Dan because we were just so comfortable with his, that his approach to baseball was, was similar to ours. Um, and as you know, there's no one more fun to talk with for hours than Dan Simon um, <laughs> about all kinds of bizarre things. Like, uh, did you know the button on the top of a baseball cap is called a squatchy? <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Did you learn that from Dan? I, I, you learn all kinds of things from Dan if you, oh, if you have time. So, <laughs> um, and when you're, when you're building a brand, it's, it's really fun to, to dig into those details. So starting to work with Dan um, and, and at that point, we were, you know, a couple months into owning the team. We had spent quite a bit of time in Kannapolis and, and we sat down with our full team um, and had a brainstorming session with Dan. And some of our team members had been there for years. Um, some had grown up. You know, we've got two, two kids who are not kids, two young adults who had grown up in the area. So um, they got to kind of share where, you know, like where they'd gone on field trips, um, like there was an old gold mine. So they're just panning, panning the history of the area um, and the area itself for ideas. And Dan put, we, we came up with, um, I, you know, hundreds of ideas and probably uh, there were 10 that he kind of put some pen to paper on. Um, and, and then, and then it was pretty clear kind of the top three or so, um, but it was still, throughout the process it was very intimidating knowing that we had to go from such a can i say the word badass on this podcast you sure can absolutely <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, to go from such a badass brand um that's associated with you know the 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 baddest of all um of of you know no one has more had more swagger than dale Earnhardt. to go from that and know that we had to come out with a brand that could replace that um was was really daunting and uh it was pretty clear once we once dan really started sketching that that what became boomer could be that guy um, boomer who you have referred to as your little guy yes my my <laughs> little guy uh <laughs> just when, when dan and i were trading trading boomers back and forth and back and forth looking at things like the color of the star on his head um when when boomers flat and his little body and his big head. I just thought of him as my little guy. Um. <laughs> you also, I have to say, uh, Alicia, that you could not go with uh, the unicorn puff puffs because the Utica unicorns already sort of have the, the unicorn already market. have the corner on the unicorn market. <laughs> exactly. So I remember from when we spoke for the sportslogos.net article that I wrote about this brand that, uh, you know, there was there was talk about how, you know, the idea of cannons came up in the, you know, name the team contest and you wanted to avoid sort of like the militaristic, you know, violence of, of cannons as a nickname. And, but can you talk about just sort of in general, the, the whole idea of cannons, why are cannons, yeah. why is the word so, cannon associated so with Kannapolis? Kannapolis uh, was, was created by the cannon family. Kannapolis is cannon mills. Um, they, they really built the town. They built the local hospital. They built the school, the YMCA. If you drive around Kannapolis and Concord and, and really all of Cabarrus County, uh, which is where we're located, you'll see references to the cannons just everywhere. Honoring that legacy um, was important to a lot of, to most of the community. Um, it, it was just, you know, Kannapolis and the cannons are synonymous. If you're from Kannapolis, you know what, who the cannons are that was important to us. Um, but not only was it, you know, a big weapon that's kind of hard to turn into, um, 
anthropomorphize a cannon. Uh, it's not, not the cutest thing you could do. Um, and also a, a number of brands and teams have kind of been the cannons and meh, they haven't, it, it's hard, it's a hard image to work with. So when Dan threw out this idea of the cannon ballers, it was like, whoa, um, what a, that addition of the ERS really, really changes the game. It does. I I absolutely agree with that, that the, the whole notion of, you know, because there's the that double entendre of baller being sort of a, uh, hey, I'll use the term since you've already used it. We've broken that seal. Sort of a badass person, right? Like if you're right. a baller, you're sort of a badass person. And and it and it has a baseball connotation. Um, it's it's got a it, it's you know some people made fun of us like oh it's such a '90s word you know want to be a baller, um, <laughs> but oh. but it's still it is still a a sports phrase. It's something when you say the ballers. You're not thinking of melon balls, um, right? Right. You're you're picturing you know you're picturing some swagger. You're picturing probably an athlete. Um, so it and then and then it really gave us kind of two marks, which, um, as you know, how important it is to be able to have have multiple marks and kind of takes on an identity to appeal to all different kinds of fans. Absolutely. So you, I mean, you had this, this challenge of creating a brand that was going to replace the intimidators. Dale Earnhardt, obviously beloved and the community still mourning him. And this brand, you know, has been just universally well-received. Like I I've never, honestly, I've never met anyone who's like, eh, cannonballers, that's too much, or that's goofy. And, and obviously the, the visual aspect of it, and, and I'll talk to Dan about this as well, but the visual aspect of it is really important. Like the character himself is really endearing, right? So, you know, if it had been like the sort of super cool, like 90s yuppie version of, of what you'd think of when you think of baller, right? Ball, like right. <laughs> it would have been very different, but the character himself is super endearing. How big a role do you think that played in, in this brand being accepted the way it has been? I, a, a huge role, I think, because, um, you know, if plenty of people heard the name and they were like, you know, people can pick at anything. Um, yeah. Everyone can be a critic and we, you have to kind of have a tough skin. Um, but then when you see, you see Boomer, it's hard to say, God, I don't like that guy. It's <laughs> he's, whether you think he's cute because of that little body and the big head or whether yep. you think he's funny because of those goggles or whether you just love that mustache, you know, it's, I, I think his actual face made a huge difference. And, um, and, and, and to Dan's credit, we went through a lot of faces, um, you know, iterations of the, between the mustache and the mouth and how much smile versus how much grimace, uh, it, there was a, a lot of back and forth on that. And, and I, I so perhaps it's just because I spent so much time looking at Boomer's mouth that I like to think, uh, boomer's face made people like our brand but right but i think that uh i think the character makes a huge difference you mentioned the mustache the mustache feels like a reference it feels like an homage to dale earnhardt so you couldn't do an a dale earnhardt brand but that mustache feels pretty specific to me like that was a tribute to dale earnhardt yeah you we we wanted to have a little hat tip to to people and things that were important in uh in Cabarrus County. So, you know, could we have had a handlebar mustache? I guess, but do people in Cabarrus County look at a handlebar mustache and think badass swagger? No, <laughs> they look at a Dale mustache and think that is a mustache. Um, right. 
So we also, uh, if you go deep, deep into the internet archives, Andy, the owner of the team used to have a mustache. Um, so he does have a preference for a Dale style mustache. Um, oh, I see. So it's a, it's an homage to him as well, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that, but I would say if, uh, if he was going to draw a mustache, there's one kind of mustache that makes more sense to him than another. Well, and so, I mean, in general, so the mustache specifically could be sort of Dale Earnhardt, but, but in general, the outfit that he's wearing, the helmet, the goggles, everything about him feels visually as close as you could get to a race car driver without actually being a race car driver. Right. Well, and that's something we were really mindful of just, you know, the NASCAR connection in, in, in Cabarrus County overall, um, NASCAR, you know, Cabarrus County is the heart of NASCAR racing. Um, it's the Charlotte Motor Speedway is there. Most, most of the big names you can think of, if you can think of any in NASCAR, um, are around the area. So, you know, when people were suggesting names, it was everything from the race cars to the speedsters to, um, you name a take on racing icon, iconography and, and people thought it would be a good name. It's, it's a very, I think that makes, makes the area very unique. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's, and so did you know that Boomer, our actual mascot, we have Boomer's proper suit, which was designed um, by this great company, Custom Characters. Uh, and then we have Boomer's uh, fire suit, the fireproof suit that race car drivers wear. Um, so inherently something that's fireproof is pretty, pretty durable, which is important when you're sending a mascot into like elementary schools. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. we learned quickly that our, our fancy suit was not uh, super accommodating for dirty situations or high touch situations. So a local, uh, a local fire suit manufacturer made us some boomer, uh, boomer fire suits that mm -hmm. will withstand uh, 200 excited kids, uh, or anything else we throw at Boomer. So, uh, so that, it, so that tie-in is cool. Um, it's, you know, it's an additional kind of local tie-in and, um, and, 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 you know, racing, racing is declining in popularity. So we didn't want it to, someone in Oregon is not going to buy a Boomer hat because of the race connections. But if people in, in the Charlotte area like that, that's great. Um, that it makes sense to them. Absolutely. Well, so you said, in, so when we spoke in 2019, one of the things that, that you told me then, and it's in the article that I wrote for sportslogos.net, that this brand needed to be local, unique, and fun. And it seems to me, I mean, well, obviously with the success of the brand since then, that you hit on all three of those. And I think those are things you just identified and what you were just describing, even just about Boomer himself, let alone the, the, the whole logo. Thank you. Those are those are still our tenants when we think think about anything we're doing in Annapolis, and um, and we were a little worried about the unique element because you know a baseball headed character is not like the most unique thing you've ever seen, but we thought we thought we made him made him special. Um, sure, I mean you, yeah, I mean you have Mr. Met or Mr. Red Legs or Rosie right. Red and Homer the Brave. So I you mean, could those... put all of them side by side on, and actually one of my like really dorky. Uh, dreams would be to put all of them side by side on a baseball field together somewhere. Um, and that would be kind of amazing. Would be really actually. cool. And, yeah. and you also would immediately know who was who. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've all got big round heads, but but that's kind of where the similarities end. Right. Right. Well, and only one of them has that mustache for sure. There. So you know, it's like I said. I mean, I you know, I'm I'm not just blowing smoke when I say it's one of my absolute favorite brands. 
I'm, I'm very appreciative of the time that you took to come on and, and talk to me about it. And I'm also appreciative of the team. They, your social media folks, they follow me on Twitter and I appreciate that. And they, they know that uh, one of my things is that I collect ice cream helmets and they also <laughs> know they sent me one, not just because they know that I collect them, but Dan actually also designed the logo for my podcast. And so they said, you know, we know that we're both Dan Simon fans. And so we're <laughs> going to send you. So I've got one of the, one of the new Canapolis Cannonballers helmets in the collection out here in the basement behind well, me. Well, so. <laughs> uh, uh, I like to think we have the best ballpark in the Carolinas, which hopefully, uh, hopefully by the time this airs, we'll have won the Ballpark Digest Award. Um, we'll see. And, but I, I definitely know we have the best, uh, best staff in the Carolinas in minor league baseball because they are a really, really good group of folks. So speaking of, of that social media team, the Cannonballers are, are pretty easy to find on social media and online. Uh, but Alicia, where can folks find you and follow you uh, on, on the socials if that's something you do? Uh, I am at Amling Am on Instagram. Uh, and I, I my Twitter profile has gone way, way, way down since I left television news. Um, in fact, I actually, that's one of the reasons I left TV news is I wanted to spend less time on Twitter. Uh, so... <laughs> So I, I do most of my social media on uh, as Amling Am, but there's no better account to follow than the K Cannonballers, uh, which that was one of our worries about the brand is that it's just a lot of letters. Cannabis Cannonballers, ton of letters. And uh, we haven't been foiled too many places, but Instagram foiled us. So that's why we're the K Cannonballers. Well, thank you so much for for coming on and, and talking about the Cannonballers. This has been a blast. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too, Alicia. And I love that you used Have a Blast. (laughs) I I didn't do it on purpose. No, it just makes sense when you're talking about cannons. All right, everyone. Welcome back. I'm super, super happy to be joined once again by my friend, Dan Simon, who not only created the Canapolis Cannonballers logo, but as you know, because I keep mentioning it, created the logo for this podcast, Baseball by Design, which I love so very, very much. Dan, thank you so much for being here to talk about the Canapolis Cannonballers. This is a widely beloved creation of yours that has just been so much fun for minor league baseball. And uh, the, the story behind it, the character you created, it's just been, it's been such a blast for, oh, as it were, uh, minor league baseball fans. <laughs> so yeah, thank you, Dan, for being here. Hey, I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me again. This this story is is one that I really enjoy just because it it has a specific connection to this community. But the the connection to the community obviously has nothing to do with cannonballs or even cannons. And so Alicia and I talked about this a little bit. But can you you know can you tell me from sort of your understanding how the idea of using cannons and a cannonballer came to pass for this team? Well, the city of Kannapolis exists because of the Cannon family. Uh, James William Cannon, the, I guess that makes him the patriarch of the the Cannon family. Um, He he founded the Cannon Manufacturing Company in Kannapolis way back in 1887. Uh, That later grew into Cannon Mills, which was the largest textile mill in in the South um, for for a very long time. So 
Um, he, he bought the land, um, James William Cannon did, uh, in shortly after the turn of the century, 1905, 1906, sometime around then, uh, that, and later started building the mill buildings that, that then became the town. There was, there was no town at the time. Um, and the reason it's named Canapolis is because of the Cannon family and the Cannon Mills, um, Cannonopolis, that's, that's the name for it. Now, the Cannon name begins with a C, just like the regular word Cannon, and they specifically didn't spell it with a C because of the neighboring town of Concord that begins with a C. So just to differentiate it a little, they, they began it with a K. But that whole town existed because of the mill. So there's, there's the, the, the mill is responsible for the building of the, the school there, the high school, the hospital, the downtown area. There's a theater that's still there called the Gem Theater that was built for the entertainment of the people that worked in the mill. So for close to a hundred years, starting in the early 1900s, that you either, the people who lived in that city either worked at the mill, worked in the mill, or worked at some business that supported the people that worked in the mill from the, the, the grocery store to the YMCA to the, the movie theater I mentioned, to the restaurants, to the clothing stores, et cetera, et cetera. It was a city built by, built for the mill. So I think this, I mean, this is great because you got from a textile plant to a cannonball character. So there were some steps in between, obviously there. And first of all, we should say too, just to reiterate, this was an incredible challenge for you because the Intimidators nickname that they had for two decades before this was really widely beloved. And Dale Earnhardt Sr. owned the team. The, the nickname was based on him. And having to change that nickname after he passed away and the ownership changed and there were legal reasons for the team to, to have to change their name, being forced into changing a name that is widely beloved, named for a person who was widely beloved, is an extra challenge for you as a designer, because already you're dealing with people who, you know, baseball fans who have an emotional attachment to a team. And, you know, there's emotional equity in this, in this intimidator's name. And so for you to come in and have to create a new nickname for reasons outside of the team's control, essentially, is, is an extra challenge for you as a designer. So it was, you know, it's interesting how much research you did and how far back you got into the history of the town. So I'll say that as an aside. And then, the, the next question I have, this is one of my long questions, Dan, you know, it's how we work here. Um, but the, the, the steps that you took to get from, okay, there was a family named Cannon. Cannon Mills was the name of a textile plant that the city was built up around. And so then there was conversation about like, okay, let's do something with cannons. How did you get from the sort of the weaponry of cannons to this character who, and we can talk about this a little bit, looks a little bit like Dale Earnhardt. Um, put a pin in that question, because <laughs> let me quickly address something that you prefaced that question with. When you mentioned that there were legal reasons they had to change the name, there's, there, that's not often the case with, with a baseball team, that you have to change the name for legal reasons. Now, as far as the legality of it goes, please understand, listeners, that uh, this, this never went to court. It wasn't a court case, but 
the Kannapolis Intimidators were named after, as you mentioned, uh, Dale Earnhardt, who was born in and grew up in and still lived in up until his untimely death uh, in a crash, I believe, in the Daytona 500 um, in Kannapolis. And he is the proverbial native son. Um, and he, he is indeed beloved in, in Kannapolis, uh, was and still is. And his nickname was the Intimidator. And he was one of the owners of the baseball team. He had actually just joined the ownership group or put together the ownership group that bought the team, I believe. And he never got to see a game played by the team named after him because unfortunately his death was, I think just a couple of months before opening day of what would have been the first season of the Intimidators. So the team is named after him. That is his nickname. His estate owns the rights to obviously his likeness, his name and his nickname. Though they gave permission to the team to continue using the name Intimidators, the team did not own the rights to that name. And that kept them, that, that hamstrung them to a certain degree with regard to some of the things they could do. Frankly, just some of the things from a marketing perspective that all teams, major or minor league, need to do, they didn't have full control over. They would have had to get permission to do certain things. And um, it was just not a tenable situation moving forward, they kept that name for, I don't know how many years after his death, but it got to the point where they, they needed their own ownable name and identity. So that's the legal part of it. Um, now back to your question about how we got from Cannon Mills and the idea of cannons to Cannon Ballers. When the team did a name the team contest, prior to us developing this identity, one of the most popular submissions, popular as far as number goes, was cannons, uh, the, the Kannapolis cannons. And that was seriously considered by the team. One of the things that I suggested to them, recommended to them was that they not name the team cannons for several reasons. The main reason is a cannon is a weapon of war. Uh, and in today's day and age, you, you don't want your team to be named after weapons that kill people. So that was the main reason. The other reason was there have been minor league teams uh, in the affiliated minor leagues named the cannons. There was the Prince William cannons. There was the Calgary cannons. There are some collegiate teams named the Cannons. And there's what's been done with Cannons from a graphic standpoint, from a brand identity standpoint, has kind of already been done. And there's not necessarily new ground to be broken in that regard. So that was another reason I, I tried to dissuade them from going with the name Cannons. But I realized how much the name Cannons means to the community, resonated with the community. And I wanted to try to figure out some way to, um, to perhaps still work that in somehow. 
I was thinking of, well, if we don't name it after the cannon itself, what else could we name it after? And I thought, well, a cannon shoots cannonballs. So I'm thinking, okay, the cannonballs, still a weapon of destruction. Uh, and then I'm thinking, wait a second, there, there are cannonballers. Now, my first thought was somebody jumping into a swimming pool, like uh, in, in the Sandlot, the great Hambino, <laughs> um, <laughs> Hamilton, he jumps into the swimming pool and yells cannonball and that know, would have been a great baseball connection there too. Right. So <laughs> that was my first thought. Then I was thinking about, well, you've got like in the movie, the cannonball run. If anyone doesn't know, it's like a, a coast to coast road race um, called the cannonball run later led to that, that movie of the same name. Um, and somebody I'm trying to think of who it was. It might've been Ben Hill who does the, Ben's Biz blog on minorleaguebaseball.com, majorleaguebaseball.com too, mm -hmm. um, who thought it would be great that um, every time a, 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 a runner crossed the plate for Kannapolis, the announcer, the PA announcer would say, that's another cannonball run. But um, <laughs> That sounds those, like something Ben Hill would say. <laughs> those were my, that's what I originally thought of. And, and, and those were are genuine possibilities. And then it just hit me wait a second, human cannonball. You know, minor league baseball is often described as having somewhat of a, of a carnival or circus atmosphere with all the fun and all the hijinks and all the between innings promotions and things like that. And I'm thinking, well, a human cannonball, that's the types of events that the human cannonball would, would appear at in circuses and at carnivals and things like that perfect tie-in create this whole carnival atmosphere look and feel to the brand identity and you're talking minor league baseball mm -hmm. so you create this character who is a human cannonball and i think you know people really take to this character just because there's something really really endearing about the, the the big head and the little body and you know the sort of look on his face and but this character is not just a human cannonball, I think, uh, but he's got, you know, obviously human cannonballers are going to wear helmets. They're going to wear goggles, but between the helmet and the goggles and the mustache looks a little bit, not just race car driver-ish, which is an important part of that community, but that mustache looks, looks familiar to fans of Dale Earnhardt, I would say. Hmm. I never <laughs> noticed that before. <laughs> Did you not? <laughs> the reality is, um, for the same legal reasons that we we alluded to earlier in this conversation, this identity could not feature Dale Earnhardt. But if the character could capture the spirit of what Dale Earnhardt represented, somebody who left it all out on the track, somebody who lived life um, on the edge, all of those things, if this character could reflect that aspect of Dale Earnhardt, then we can capture what it means so much to this community, the favorite son, Dale Earnhardt. Um, and so the, you know, the fact that he's wearing a helmet that looks very much like a race car driver's helmet, that's what the human cannonball is wearing anyway. Um, the mustache, 
Um, the fact that it uh, re reminds people of Dale Earnhardt, maybe it is a little bit more than a coincidence. Maybe it's just coincidence. <laughs> um, so the, the, there are similarities, some intentional, some coincidental. I do want to, I, I, just because I love this story so much, I want to I wrap up this conversation about the work that you did on the logo, just because I love this story so much. And it speaks to the reaction that the logo got when it was first unveiled. Would you mind telling the story about the, the, the sort of unique way that the team unveiled the, the new logo and how it was received? Uh, well, sure. One of the things that I'd like to say about the ownership group, um, Temerity Capital Partners, I believe is the name of the, the main group, uh, Temerity Baseball is their baseball offshoot. They now are owners of two teams, both the Canapolis Cannonballers and the Greensboro Grasshoppers. And uh, they do everything right. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not from Canapolis. They're DC-based, Washington, DC-based. And it was important to them when they came in not to be these out-of-town owners who just come in and do what they want with no consideration of what the, the, the community wants. The what the community wanted was of paramount importance to them. One of the things Alicia did was set up meetings with a host of uh, people in the community from season ticket holders to business leaders, to the mayor, to people who worked for the Chamber of Commerce, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the, the big questions that I want, not just wanted, I needed answered going into all of those, those meetings were, was, does this community want an identity based on things from the past, specifically the mill, or did they want to put that in the past, so to speak, or literally, and, and look, come up with an identity that's something new, something moving forward. And what I, I was expecting when I, I left Kannapolis after the, the several days I was there, that I would have the answer to that question. But what I got surprised the heck out of me, which was, it was basically, I didn't keep a, an actual tally, but it was basically split 50-50. Something definitely based on the mill and something new versus something new moving forward. And when, when I was on my flight going home, I was actually sitting there thinking, I don't know what to do. There's no way I can win here because half of the people want it one way, half of the people want it the other. We're going to disappoint half of the people and please the other half. But either way, I kind of looked at it as a no-win situation. And I was racking my brain trying to think of, is there any way to come up with something that references and recognizes the past while also moves forward and wasn't stuck in the past? And that ended up being this cannonballer's identity. It, it referenced the mill. It referenced Dale Earnhardt yet it wasn't a mill identity and it wasn't a racing identity. It was something new that they did not previously have. So 
when you talk about this was an, an identity that resonated with a lot of people, uh, that that's the reason it resonated with the community because everybody felt like their voices were heard. So with their unveiling, this was, I've been to a number of unveilings. This was, uh, this one was a little different than anyone I, I previously attended. And what they did was, I had mentioned earlier, the Gem Theater, which still exists in Kannapolis. It's been completely refurbished. Uh, it's, it's one of those theaters, I, I can't tell you the exact day, it, uh, year it opened, but it, it harks back to the days when you did not have multiplexes, when you would have one beautiful single screen theater that showed one movie at a time, and they still have that one downtown. And at the theater, they were going to have what they called the big reveal. Now, the theater seats, if I'm not mistaken, 800 people. And that's a pretty good showing if you can get 800 people to show up at your, at your unveiling. And they, the, the tickets were not for sale. They were free, but you had to sign up for them in, in, in advance. And they quickly sold out. So what they realized was we have way more people that want to see this than we have room for here. So what they did was they decided to extend this out to the, the street area around the, the theater. Um, and they put up giant, big projection screens. They then had circus performers doing all kinds of acts outside prior to the actual event. Uh, and when I say the event, the event was a, a video inside the theater that was then simulcast on these screens outside the theater with all these people gathered around. So 800 people inside the theater seemed like at least as many people outside as there were inside. And the, I, I was saying how the Temerity Capital, the ownership group of the team does things right. They had a 20 minute video done by um, these two guys, from Kannapolis Market Street video did a great job that talked about the history of Kannapolis, the history of baseball in Kannapolis, the development of the identity. They actually flew those guys out here to Louisville to interview me as part to be part of the video about the development of the identity. They interviewed fans at, um, at the previous ballpark. Um, and put together this 20-minute video where that was that was shown at the Gem Theater, simulcast outside, and, and that was their big reveal with the circus acts and everything else that went along. It, it was really a spectacle, and the, the, the people loved it. Well, and if I remember correctly, when you told me this story previously, that, that people, you attended that event, and people recognized you from having been in the video and were were thanking you for the the work that you did in in creating the logo for the team and so it was you know that that's that story of graphic designer as hero really sort of you know touches touches my heart right there because well, i think it's hero might be a little <laughs> hyperbolic but but not on this podcast with regard to what you were just saying one of my big concerns going in 
I, I, I loved the identity before it was unveiled. I honestly did not know how it would be received. I was very proud of the work, but my biggest concern was that even though, as we've discussed, there were intentional and coincidental references or references to or suggestions of Dale Earnhardt, I knew how important Dale Earnhardt was to these people. I knew they wished they could have kept the Intimidator's name as the, as the name of their city's baseball team. And I did not know if when they saw this identity, they, they were gonna see all of these things that we, that we intended, but meant to be suggestive and not literal. Mm-hmm. And at one point during the video, I mentioned that you know they talked about the history of, of the city, of the mill, uh, and there, there was also a part of it about Dale Earnhardt in the video about Dale Earnhardt specifically. And when, when that part came, it erupted in, impl- in applause. They were thrilled that their, their favorite son was, um, was, was on screen. And I actually, I was sitting there thinking, oh no, they love this guy even more than I already knew. Well, when they, at the very end of the video, when they unveiled the logo in the video, um, again, the theater erupted in applause and literally chills ran up my spine. I've never had that experience certainly with with an identity I've created um, to have chills run up my spine, but it was because they saw it. They they saw what we intended and the and 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 they loved it. Mm. And when I was walking out of the theater, like you said, people coming into the theater, nobody knew who I was. However, as I was walking out, clearly some people had recognized me from having just been in the video they just watched. And a number of people stopped me and thanked me. With and this wasn't about being a hero. They, what could have happened with this is somebody from the outside comes in, and they're that person from the outside, and not just the person, not just the designer, but this ownership group, come in and do what they want, what they would do if it was up to them, without necessarily caring about what the community cares about. That's all we cared about was how can we do something that resonates with with the community. And when those people thanked me for that, it, it meant more to me than, than, than anything else could have, because this was not about national merchandise sales. This was not about what people in California or New Jersey or Kansas or wherever thought about it and whether they're going to buy uh, merchandise or whether it's going to be, be, you know, go viral on social media. Um, It was about what this meant to the community and the fact that these people were thanking me meant so much to me because we did what was right for them well i love this story so much and it just speaks to you know the uh, how well that was received in that moment has obviously continued on and it's one of the most popular logos out there one of my favorite logos and so i'm certainly glad that we've had the chance to talk about it Dan, thank you so much once again. I always enjoy these conversations. I look forward to our next conversation. Obviously, people, as always, they if you don't know this already from listening to this podcast, you should. You can find Dan online at studiosimon.net. 
And on Instagram, I think it's studio underscore Simon on Instagram. And we're going to get Dan on Twitter one of these days, but uh, but not that's going to be a big moment. It's like we're going to break Twitter when we finally get you on Twitter. Well, on a separate call, I want you to tell me more about this Twitter thing. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye, Paul. All right, everyone. Welcome back. This is such a thrill for me right now, like like literally a thrill, because I am talking to David the Bullet Smith. David the Bullet Smith holds six Guinness World Records in in the field of human cannonballing, and so David's outside right now. You can you can hear that because that's just, that's David's mo right now, right? There's the, the whatever the next adventure is. David's on the way right now, but so so David has done. He's been a human cannonballer for 22 years, more than 8,000 cannon shots in 15 different countries. And among the world records, the, the highest human cannonball and the longest human cannonball, 195 feet. So 195 feet, that's, you know, that's a shallow fly ball right there, right? Like that's a, that's, that's a decent it's, distance in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. That's a pretty, pretty long shot. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, David is here right now. We're talking to the real human cannonball in an episode about the Kannapolis Cannonballers. So I just, you know, if I, if I first, David, thank you so much for being here and agreeing to come talk to me for the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, oh, it's such a thrill. It's such a thrill for me. I get to have such interesting conversations with this podcast. So I never thought I would get to talk to David, the bullet Smith holder of six Guinness world records. <laughs> so yeah. I, I know that this is, this is a, a family business for you. I mean, you must get the question all the time. How did you get into being a human cannonball? I know it's a family business, but can you tell me how did human cannonballing become a family business for you? Um, well, my dad started it for our family. He had, uh, you know, his his mom and dad had regular jobs. His father was a police officer and, and grandma was a teacher. And uh, he went through college as a gymnast, got wrapped up in the, in the circus, believe it or not. Ran away at the circus with my mother uh, through that gymnastics background and uh, became flying trapeze artists they took that that was their entrance into the entertainment world and then uh they did they went really really far with that kind of came to a crescendo of winning the circus world championships in london england the year before i was born and then uh my dad built a cannon and in my memory my father has always been a human cannonball so like i've been walking on net since I was just figuring out how to walk, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's been something that, uh, that I've just always seen my dad, my dad broke the world record when I was a kid, you know, bringing it home for the first time, you know, my daddy's the best. Uh, and then, uh, just kind of when I was 19, I basically bought a cannon from my dad and took it out on the road and, Took it out of the circus for the most part, and here I am in concerts and festivals and all kinds of weird stuff. We do a lot of commercials. I love it when I get to do a circus, um, and we sure have blown up in baseball. That is for sure. First of all, are you a baseball fan? Do you have a baseball team? Um, you know what? I don't have a baseball team at the moment. I have, I have such a neat experience with so many teams you know like uh that i just it's just ha i'm happy to be there i love kind of watching everybody all my friends that i've gotten to know in the business from the 
announcers that we work on the floor with, with the guys up in the press box, and of course the general managers and entertainment directors and things like that. So there's certain places that I, I love. I don't know how many teams we've done now. Probably, yeah. I don't know, probably 40, something like that. Okay. Well, and, was- you know, most, most of them repeat. So the reason I ask about, you know, your connection to baseball is because I'm curious as a, as a human cannonballer, the Kannapolis uh-huh. cannonballers, you know, they have a mascot who's a little guy and you've performed at the cannonballers, obviously. So, you know, this, uh-huh. they've got a, a little guy with a big baseball head, kind of like Mr. Met as a, as a human cannonballer. First of all, do you think that giant head would be a problem for him as an actual human cannonballer or would it be, or would it help? Um, well, all I know is I got kind of a little pinhead and I'm a pretty good cannonball. So I wouldn't think it would necessarily be a good thing to have a big head like that. No, right. he, he's not exactly the right shape to get okay. shot out of the cannon and uh, he might get caught up in the cape a little bit. As much Uh-oh. as I'd love to have a cape, it's not a great idea. <laughs> I, I can see that. Absolutely. But I, I've seen the, the videos and the pictures of you uh, human cannonballing and you both have the helmet and the goggles. So you, you both have that going on. Oh, he's, he's, he's just, uh, well, he's got to be my favorite mascot now, obviously. How could he not? You know? yeah. I mean, yeah, that was <laughs> when I heard that I got an invitation email that announcing that they're going to change their baseball team to the Kannapolis cannonballers. I was like, Oh, how perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was obviously a shoe in for us. I, I had an instant, an instant connection and tie in to, yeah. you know, an interest in being a part of their program. Of yeah. course. So as a, as a cannonballer, what are the, what are the skills that you need to have to be a successful? I mean, you mentioned, I don't think that you have a pinhead. I don't think that's a fair characterization, but, <laughs> But what are the Small skills head. that you have to have to, to be a human cannonballer? Uh, well, you got to have some physical attributes. You know, it's uh, your body adapts over years of doing something. And the mind has adapted to being able to sustain just an enormous amount of pressure for a split second, um, yeah. which is kind of... I can't tell whether it's best to be more of a marathon sprinter physique or a power lifter f- physique mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. And I've gone back and forth in the way I've trained it and things like that. So, you know, it's definitely a strong, strong uh, core and all that. You got to protect yourself and, and remain flexible. And basically though, I think it's a dedication to the job that you've got to have, you know, uh, mathematical aptitude, 1,000%, even mm-hmm, though that's mm-hmm. mathematically incorrect right there. But uh, <laughs> um, I live and die, hopefully don't die, by right. my my ability to make calculations that are sometimes scary. Yeah. And so if your conditions change, uh, you know, as the day goes on and the we start the day thinking it's going to be nice and sunny and then we get wind and cold or I plan for wind and cold and it becomes nice and sunny or something. Um, the cannon's a ever changing thing. No two shots are the same, even in the power settings, you know, unless yeah. conditions align again, you know, yeah. and there's a lot of conditions that go into that. So um, I think to do big cannon shots like I'm doing, I don't think there's a way to get there unless you've got experience and time because the experience allows you to 
make those decisions. And if you don't have that, you don't make very many of those successfully, you know? So, <laughs> right. and, and the consequences are dire. So, for sure. um, you know, you gotta have a love to travel. We're always on the road, a, a heck of a work ethic. You gotta show up ready to go ready for, to put on a show with a lot of times with people that have no idea what they've hired even, yeah. you know, I mean, they do, they see the videos and everything, but the actual process of putting this on, it's amazing to me how much work goes into a five second cannon shot. Right. You know, right. right. I've, I've, we've, we've spent a year planning and, and doing things like that and shipped it to the other side of the world shot once and come back. Oh my gosh. You know? And so, yeah. and, and so, I mean, baseball is kind of nice uh, because it's, uh, we've i've got it kind of cookie cuttered in as far as the setup and how to take care of the field and how to present our stuff as well as possible so that's really nice it's once we figured that out initially with uh, some of the teams that believed in us early on you know trust me when i started calling it was on a whim that i got into this baseball and i just thought you know there's so many teams out there and it's such a neat crowd i get to meet people i get to be up close to them even though we're presented out on the field yeah. uh i it does feel like it's a tight connection to my audience mm -hmm. and as an entertainer i love that you know yeah. I, I really like my that crowd so when you're performing at a baseball stadium or at a, at a ballpark where are you launching from and where do you land relative to the baseball field okay so we put the cannon out behind second base and I've made some adaptations to the cannon shots and things over the years to really um, cater to baseball. Now, depending on the grounds manager and what they think and how the weather and the, and the lay of the ground is, most of the time they like for me to keep the cannon on the hard infield dirt. Mm -hmm. So that means when I first started doing this, I was putting it out in center field, popping probably 150 to 160 feet high like 45 degrees or something like that i mean 150 to 160 feet long at like 45 degrees keeping mm -hmm. the cannon on the grass shooting to home plate i basically land my net set up and i basically aim right for home plate okay. and that way i've got a cookie cutter for each ballpark mm -hmm. but as i i realize i don't want to be out on the grass for these ballparks it's not worth the extra time and effort for the audience and the show to plywood back and so that we can park this cannon out on the grass and hope we don't hurt something so i bring it right back to the edge of the dirt brace it down and i get to do about a 130 foot cannon shot 140 foot cannon shot depending on where the the back of the uh you know the back wall is, is where what determines how far i can put the net away you know mm -hmm. um and i just started point it up steeper and steeper so i think the crowd actually likes it better so now i'm doing like 130 140 whatever it comes out to at the max there and okay. uh but i'm shooting at like 60 degrees so i am way up in the air I'm, so the crowds yeah. react to the height rather than the than the distance they always have yeah i mean you have you have to have distance to have height too but sure but uh yeah the cannon shot has not suffered at all by putting <laughs> by catering to the ballpark. It just took me a couple of years to figure it out. Sure. You know? So as you were describing the attributes that a uh, a person has to have to be a successful human cannonballer, I was I was wondering to myself what position would a human cannonballer play on on the baseball team? You know, if you know, if we got 
if we got the little guy actually on the baseball team. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking with everything you described, I'm thinking probably center field, right? Like you've got to have that, that initial burst to, you know, all, you know, when you see the ball off the bat, you've got to have that uh-huh. initial burst. And then you've got to, you know, you've got to understand the, the trajectory of the ball. You've got to have the math to understand where the ball is going to land and how to get there. You have to have the physical ability to actually, you know, the, the, the courage to actually, you know, dive for a ball if you need to. And then, you know, just the, like you said, the repetition and the experience. I mean, there's no way, there's no better way to get better at field and fly balls than to just do it a billion times, you know? And so uh, I think sure. dedication to the sure. craft. So, so I think, I think our little Canapolis cannonballer guy would be a center fielder on a baseball team. So that's, that was just sort of what was going through my head while you were talking about that. There. If not the ball. <laughs> well, you're thinking more abstractly than I did. I hadn't actually thought of that. So I'm obviously like, I can't let you get out of here without asking you this, this question. Can you, and I know you've been asked this a, a, a billion times and I apologize for asking you something you've been asked many times before, but can you describe the physical sensation of you know, from, from beginning to end of getting, you know, that initial burst shot out of the cannon, you know, launched up into the air and then the arc and then the descent onto the big inflatable mat that you hopefully have positioned correctly after all of your calculations. I can give it a whirl. It's a tough <laughs> one to, it's a tough one to relate to, but so I'm listening to the countdown and I'm in a position that's very aggressive in a strong stance because I'm actually in a stand more than a lay down position because of the steeper firing angles. So it is more aggressive as a stand up. It's hard to get ready for some if you're too, too low. I don't feel as like my body can take as big of a hit. And so what I'm anticipating is that there's going to be a very short little movement that's going to give me, well, you just feel it now. I can feel when it's about to go. And then I go from, I think I'm tight to finding out whether I was or not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so uh, I have this weight on my body that hits as I accelerate, I'll push 10 G's on most takeoff on most cannon shots. And that's like, that's not guessing. That's measured by the Air Force Base for okay. a Discovery Channel documentary. So 10 G's on takeoff is what my average is, I would say. And um, and as that weight hits, I become heavy. I feel my shoulders get pulled down. My um, I, I try to be on the balls of my toes just a little bit now because I feel it gives me a little bit more cushion uh, in my joints to let the cannon squash my my toed stance to a flat-footed stance and then feel the weight hit the hips, the knees, the ankles, the every muscle in your body and hope that they all stand straight. And all that happens about as fast as you can blink. And then I'm out of the cannon. And first thing for me is usually, you know, spot my target. And after all the years in my acrobatic, I know if I'm having a good flight or a bad flight right away. So if I'm having a bad flight, it's save my ass, whatever I got to do, flap, try and get straight and true by the top of the flight, because it, that's when you have this little weightlessness where you can make the corrections and things. Oh. And, and it, it's, it feels like, uh, 
most of the shots I do nowadays feel like a straight up and a straight down more than a go closer. I don't feel closer till the net until I'm looking down at it from 70, 80 feet high. That's how it looks from my perspective. And then hopefully I'll, I'll, most of the time I come out pretty good and I just go straight out, go up to the top, spot my target and I wait for that weightlessness to get in and then control, start to control my dive. And it is a, a head dive now, uh, at least on most of these high ones where it's, I'll be up there 80 feet high sometimes yeah. and looking down at that net and, and you accelerate so quickly as you fall, you know, and the difference in, in impact speed hitting a net from 50 feet to 80 feet is like just mathematically much, much more, you know? Um, so that's what I'm doing. I get ready. I come in and, and through the flight, there's it's weightlessness. There's no pressure on my body anywhere, but I know when I hit that, my, that net, my body better be in a position to stop me from 70 miles an hour to zero in somewhere between six and nine feet, you know, and be able to do that day after day after day. So it's, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of impact. The net actually has more impact than the cannon, uh, physical G's. Interesting. And it, yeah, it does. It does. The barrel's longer than the landing. Well, so. I'm pretty sure I just held my breath through that entire story, by the way. I, <laughs> I, I, was, like, uh, I was living it with you there. I was like, holy smokes. I was trying to put you in my, in my shoes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, this has been a, a total blast, as it were. And, and I really appreciate you coming on and, and joining me and, and sharing your experience as a human cannonballer. I mean, there's such a fun connection to the, to the Canapolis team. Where can people find you online and where can people find you in person? Uh, you know, where are you going to be uh, performing here later in the summer? Um, our website is uh, humancannonball.us. You can see a lot of our bigger videos. We don't update that as quick as, say, for instance, Facebook. If you find us on Facebook at David the Bulletsmith AGT, uh, we just put up our, our uh, remainder of the year calendar. We oh, just put it up a couple of days ago there. I don't know if it's on the website yet, but it will be soon. That is perfect. And this has been so much fun. And I really appreciate your time and, uh, and, and best of luck. Stay safe. And, uh, you know, I hope, I hope to see you break your own record once again. You've already broken your own record four times. So we'll uh, look forward to seeing you break your own record. Let me, let me ask you, the record right now is 195. Is 200 within reach? 200 200s in reach yes yeah okay. we'll, we'll save 200 for something big uh All right. when, though well, they are big but i worked my way up there and then okay. we set the height record in saudi arabia for 89 feet high holy smokes that was a big one yeah. <laughs> that just like just sent of all the local places right yeah yeah so uh, anyway thank you for getting us out there in front of baseball again i love that i love oh, that crowd and i look forward to going out to the ballparks here so. very much my pleasure thank you so much david i really thank appreciate you it. all the best all Bye -bye. right take care